0: Hey folks, it's Gerald Crook, and I'm excited to share that this season of the Higher Ground Society podcast is supported in part by the Alabama Humanities Alliance, a state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the Alabama Humanities Alliance or the National Endowment for the Humanities. Now, let's get back to our conversation with Drs. William and Rosephanie Powell.
1: I want to live free, I want to live free, free from anger, hatred and fear, I want to live free, I want all of my brothers,
0: so I was prepared, so I was actually prepared, you mentioned this before, I was prepared to talk about the cry of Jeremiah, but that's on me because I haven't been keeping up with you as much as I should. I should have known that you had something else to come out since then, several things, but we want to talk primarily about um, this new work called, which I love this title. (laughs) So, uh, then, here, and now, can you tell us, well, actually, uh, before we go there, I just wanna kind of, I'm reading off of the, the website where you can buy the music. It's, called, it's, it's four art songs that bestow honor and tribute to uh, African-American music and educators. The title, Then, Here and Now, refers to the spirituals used during slavery, that's the then, and its relevance today, here and now. Um, and uh, the titles are that are included in this, this four-part work are oppressed, healing, Dying and protest, and I was just so geeked to find that you had done this. <laughs> so, can you tell us, uh, Ms. Doc, how this came to be? This this piece. Well,
2: you know, it 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 I I think I would have to credit the year two thousand twenty, mm-hmm. because when it it it, it, it happened uh, during the shutdown of the society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, as I'm sitting and I'm watching videos from Italy and around the world, people just locked up in their homes and then to see what happened with George Floyd, all of this is in that same time. So Mm -hmm. this, this then here and now is my commentary for what I observed during the year 2020. Mm. And so when when COVID first hit and everybody was so afraid and fearful of dying this, 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 uh, this of this, this, this pandemic, this, this, this most difficult way to die alone, mm. can't breathe on mm. machines. You know, for many of them, it was very painful. Mm. I this as I was watching some of the newscasts about it, I'm sitting there and I am here, hear, I'm hearing there is a bomb in Gilead. Because mm-hmm. everybody was trying to figure out how were these people going to survive? Mm-hmm. Who, what what was the medical profession going to do to bring about healing? Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching the numbers go up every day. And so many, you know, as people were just dying, shut, you know, hospitals are overfilled and that I'm sitting there and I'm watching them. And all of a sudden I find myself singing that spiritual, Mm -hmm. there is a bomb in Gilead. And then as time goes by, I still don't think about composing the work, but I just, that spiritual, Just I would go for walks and just sing that spiritual Mm -hmm. then in the midst of that, watching the numbers go up as people die, and then watching George Floyd die such a horrid death, mm-hmm. as he called out to his mother, mm-hmm. I watched that video just over and over, and I wept. I mean, mm-hmm. I, when I tell you, I wept profusely.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And as I'm sitting there thinking about and watching that video, all of a sudden, the spiritual comes to mind I want to die easy Mm -hmm. when I die. Mm -hmm. Not a hard death like that. Not even a hard death like people are dying in COVID. Mm -hmm. So then that became the second spiritual and all of a sudden it's coming to my mind. I need to compose a commentary on what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. And because these spirituals were coming to mind, I'm going to, I'm going to, Make it contemporary to say the first spiritual will, will be called healing. Mm-hmm. That's the bomb and Gilead. Sure. The second one will be called dying, mm-hmm. and that is I want to die easy. But that day after uh, George Floyd died, and there were all of these, not not they they were actually they started out as protests, but they eventually became riots. Mm-hmm. Well that became Joshua fit the battle of Jericho mm-hmm. because they marched around that city mm-hmm. and they began that to me as they were burning down the, the police station that it was no, it was it was it they were protesting mm-hmm. all of the evils of our society mm-hmm. over time mm-hmm. And so I took that spiritual, Joshua fought fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. The walls, not just just even walls with black people, but the white people that were joining us in these protests Mm -hmm. were saying, okay, I get it now. The walls of my heart have been, Mm -hmm. my heart has been softened to the plight Mm -hmm. that, that blacks experience. And then the the walls start coming down because people are now coming up against the walls of society. Mm -hmm. So that became a then here and now. And then the last one called oppression was to say, it was based on go down Moses, way down in Egypt, tell old Pharaoh to let my people go. All of that was about oppression. And so I use these spirituals and I compose them as art songs, not spirituals because there's always this debate. Mm. Should white people sing spirituals? Mm. Well, I compose them as art songs, meaning they have aspects of the melody of a spiritual, but there are certain aspects of the melody that's, that, that doesn't come from the spiritual. There are certain rhythms that don't come the spiritual from the spiritual. I use the text of the spiritual and some of the melody, but gave it more of a contemporary feel because I think these songs speak to the lives of everybody. Mm-hmm. There are there are people who've been oppressed in domestic violence. Mm-hmm. There are people who've been oppressed through sex trafficking, mm-hmm. human trafficking. So in my notes for these songs, I tell them how each of these songs deal with things that we're dealing with now mm-hmm. and tell them the power of the spiritual to contextualize what we're experiencing now. So it, you can be Asian, you can be white, you can be Hispanic. Anybody can sing this song, these songs, and let them be their stories mm-hmm. of oppression, he, needing for help. The person who is is a caregiver for a person with cancer mm-hmm. can sing this song. I want this person healed.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Does that mm-hmm. does that make sense? Oh,
0: absolutely. And I'm so glad that I asked you the the, mm-hmm. the background for it because. It, it it's so apt, and you know we're we got Omicron coming out, you y- know, Right. know, the Delta. Right. We thought we were done with the Delta variant, but now we, it, it, it just seems like this music is always timely. Our music is always timely. And I love the fact that you have opened it up and invited other people to partake, it, partake of it the way that you did. It's a beautiful way to to have people be a part of the culture and also get what they need from it, but with, in a respectful way. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, so guys, that's then, here, and now. You can hear, um, again, it, it just came out. You just published this in July 2021. So that's just a few months ago. So I'm assuming there aren't like a lot of uh, performance videos of people just doing it just, just yet. But there are some looks like it, maybe demo videos on, on YouTube <laughs> and the people who, who did, they did incredible jobs. Uh, so if you wanna hear that, um, check it out, just, just Google it and uh, see what you can find. Um, so this is gonna lead me to like a ne- the next question. Again, the both of you, you're conducting music, you're composing music. This is, I mean, I'm not there yet. <laughs> but I have been able to perform and, and I, I do get some, some some jollies from that. But for you, this, both of you, what's it like to go around the world and share your craft and share your music with other people? Like, what do you, what do you get out of that? I
3: I think that it is, uh, you know, it is quite rewarding when, and, and I think what it does more than anything, Rosephanie and I see our, roles, our positions as as not just being contained in music and the making of music, but basically in touching people mm. and touching people's lives and finding ways to, to inspire, to uh, encourage. And so having one less barrier uh, between us and them. The music is kind of like that central connection, especially if it is uh, a a composition or an arrangement, in my case, where they meet us in the, you know, the music is kind of like the middle ground. And it's, again, it's a tighter knit one because if it's something that we have done, especially, you know, a composition or whatever that Rossephone has written, they get to know her mm-hmm. more. They get to know us more. Uh, they, you know how it is when you're studying or learning a piece of music and you just kind of immerse yourself into the song. But mm-hmm. well, when you do that, you're coming into the realm of that individual and mm-hmm. what that person may have been thinking. So they're very curious about, well, what were you thinking when you were writing this? Or what, yeah. just like the question you just asked. And so when you are um, in that particular stage and you're learning of a piece of music, you, and then when it comes to, again, performing it, it, it does, it just, it makes connections unlike any other, uh, especially in, in the music area. Of course, other areas have their own ways of doing that, but it, it, it makes those kinds of connections, those heart mm-hmm. connections. And, um, and so we, we do try to take advantage of those opportunities, being aware. And when I say take advantage, meaning knowing that that's a connection point being able to open the door and say um, you know uh, this song is about a struggle what struggles are you experiencing this mm-hmm. is this is some of you need hope some of you need to be encouraged mm-hmm. and so it, it, it segues or as some people say dovetails very nicely into those kinds of opportunities
2: absolutely i i totally agree with william you know so often, especially within academic settings and professional choral settings, or even as solo artists, we many of the composers are dead already. Mm-hmm. And so when you know artists and, and performers and singers get a chance to relate to the composer, oftentimes what what they're experiencing when they're learning it is different from what the composer was experiencing
1: mm-hmm. so
2: you know sometimes when i'm working with a choir i will say well why do you think i did this and they all have these lofty ideal deals about you know what 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 it, what i was trying to accomplish and most of the time i'm trying to tell them something that's going on in the poetry mm-hmm. and then what that experience of the poetry was working inside of me mm-hmm. And then I say, well, how do you equate that with your own life? So for instance, I composed a, a song called uh, Still I Rise, and it's become a, a women's anthem for a lot of uh, women, uh, qu- uh, female treble choirs. Mm-hmm. And that that song talks about how difficult life can be, but because I'm still here, I rise. And it was really based on Maya Angelou's a poem of the mm-hmm. same title, I couldn't get permission to set her her poetry at that time. So I composed my own text that was inspired by yeah. her poem. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so when you talk about what does that experience mean for me when I could when I conduct that work or even get emails, there have been numerous women who were uh, close to suicide? Mm. Some who have who have uh, been victorious over cancer, and they will send me pictures, or they'll come up to me and show me their their tattoos. And it'll have still I rise. And then sometimes they'll write me and say, Hey, can you put can you sign your name and write still I rise <laughs> on a piece of paper and send it to me? They'll go get a, a tattoo made with Still I Rise and my penmanship, and then with my name up under it. Whoa. I've got at least five different pictures. Whoa. And they're from around the world. And when people tell me their stories, how when they sang that song, it was at a low place. One woman went and had a t-shirt made because she had survived cancer three times. And because of that song, once she heard her, her her daughter was singing in a choir that sang that song. Mm -hmm. And it was her third time she was being told she was going through, uh, that, you know, she was going to have to go through chemo and, uh, she said when that choir sang, Still I Rise, she found the strength to go through it for a third time. And she wrote me and said, I'm getting a t-shirt because (laughs) this has become my anthem for life. And and that's the power of music. That's what we get out of arranging and composing Mm -hmm. music is knowing that, as William said, it encourages people, it strengthens people, it tells people's story. A a song can tell your story in a way or confirm your story Mm -hmm. in a way that you just thinking about it when you know somebody else has experienced that and now have put that to words as the poet. Mm -hmm. And then somebody goes and takes what the poet put to words and then put music to that. It just, at at every level, That, that that experience is intensified. Yeah. And that's what we do as composers.
3: And I wanna insert this, uh, and that's so strongly put, Rose Stephanie, because you add the social element of, and for, for your listeners who may not necessarily be part of a music group, a music ensemble, it, it's a very unique sort of situation where um, you, are, you, you are a community. And for some people, for a lot of people, quite frankly, That's the only place where they have a sense of belonging to Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. that is not destructive. Something, a a group, an area, a place that is indeed safe. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, because some people's families it's Mm -hmm. very toxic. They're in relationships that are toxic and Mm -hmm. dangerous sometimes. They're at work, and that's not necessarily pleasurable for some people. (laughs) Uh, And so, and then they go. They they're part of a singing group, an ensemble, a choir or instrumental group, whatever, but especially in a choir, you know, where you actually get to open your mouth and and (laughs) utter words, Mm. those words are powerful and they minister to your heart. And so when you're doing that with other people, there's just something, and I'm gonna use the word here very loosely, is something magical that oh, happens, cool. but we know it's beyond magic, we know that. But I'm just using that for the sake of <laughs> discussion. But uh, it's something that really happens that that is inspiring. And it, it just adds, as Rocephanie already said, it just strengthens, it, it strengthens the bonds. It, they're just. And sometimes you can even be in a group and not even know the person's name that you're standing next to but your hearts are touching because mm-hmm. you're both singing at the same time oh sure and,
0: yeah 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 and I think I've I've definitely had the pleasure and the honor and privilege of being a part of something like that you know just and this isn't even like a infomercial to join a musical ensemble but <laughs> just if you I, I would say definitely to allow yourselves to be open to, to music to let it touch you like that uh, I'm actually kind of guilty of not listening to the words of music. I like the way that music sounds a lot of the time. Um, so my f- friend, best friend, Cicely, she'll used to get on to me because I'll I'll butcher the words to a song in a heartbeat. Like I'll make up my own <laughs> version, and she's like, Ugh, "What are you doing? What are you know?" Like, so. <laughs> After hearing that for a few times, I finally, you know, in my in my old age, <laughs> started listening to the words. <laughs> and you're right; it it will hit you like a bag of bricks, you know, yes. or it can like you know just pat you on the shoulder, just like you need it. It's there's so much power in in, in music. You know, yeah. let me
2: ask something to Gerald to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. What William is talking about is how we bridge the different aspects of our lives as a composer that that's one hat, Mm -hmm. but when we get to conduct our works, or Mm -hmm. if I'm invited to a place uh, where they're performing my works and I am going to tell them how to interpret it, what you're talking about is how we, we see people become transformed. Sure. Mm -hmm. When they first start off singing a song and they just enjoy that music, Mm -hmm. that's one experience. Mm -hmm. But when that composer or arranger shows up, and gets them to focus in on what the music is saying and how the music is actually changing harmonies based on this part of the text is sad, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. this part of the text is talking about hope. You see people's eyes, It, 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 it to me, and it is powerful, that place where you're enjoying the music, which is what I ended, grew up doing. We feel moved, but it's superficial.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But when you can delve into what those words are saying, that's another level of touching the heart of your audience. Cause when you can get moved to know what you're saying and why you're saying it, it comes out in your voice, a very different way than when you just kind of grooving with the music, right. experiencing one way you're touching the audience You're both touching, you're you're touching the audience artistic journey with the music. But when they start feeling like you've got an emotional, deep level passion for the word, for the words, that gets that person to remember, you know, That word that you enunciated a particular way because you felt something about it, Mm -hmm. that hits that person and brings up a memory for when they had that experience. Mm -hmm. That's when I think you start touching people's lives with the music. Mm -hmm. A lot of places I go before the concert, whether it's the cry of Jeremiah or or gospel Gospel trinity. Trinity. Yeah, Mm -hmm. when they have me to go and speak to the audience before the performance, It is like the people will come and they'll tell me I wept because I remember what you told me was going on in those words. And when those harmonies were hitting me, I was was remembering times in my life Mm -hmm. when I felt close to committing suicide or the times when I felt like I couldn't go another day. And then all of a sudden I found hope and here I am still now. It hit me in a way that if I hadn't heard what you were telling me, you experienced when you composed it, I would have just said, oh, that's beautiful music. But I went to another place with this. Mm-hmm. I think that's the part we get to experience when we get to go out and work with the choirs or mm-hmm. tell the audiences what it is this music is about.
0: That's brilliant. And I love that you said that because I think, all so I work in the humanities professionally and that's a brilliant way, a brilliant, a great way to, to, to distinct make a distinction between the two. We're talking about the art, right? Like, so this, this art music, but then once we actually have this experience, this human experience, this human reaction to the actual sounds the music and the art aspect of it, then we can have these conversations and these revelations about ourselves. And that's the humanities, folks, just in case you're... <laughs> Just in case you ever wondered, you know what, what we talking about, this is what we're supposed to be doing as, as humanists and as we engage the humanities. That was beautiful, that was amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. I have just three more questions before we wrap these up. And so uh, this is kind of, might be along the same lines, but what are some of the most important lessons that you've learned from the work that you've done so far? So in creating and teaching. So, so we've already talked about one not to send music to, <laughs> to ten different publishers <laughs> with some <laughs> stuff like that. What are what are some of the lessons that you've learned? You
2: know, um, I'll go first this time. William has I put him on the spot of being first <laughs> every, every time. One of the things that I will say that I have learned, and that is, music is universal, mm. and. As those of us who create music and work with choirs to bring it to life, the humanities which you're speaking about, we have to move past the notes, the right notes and the right rhythms. If we get past that to the meaning of the music, which is why I'm careful about what songs I choose to program, because... My job, I believe, is to get that choir to understand the power behind the words and the music and become messengers. So I always tell them it's multi-level. Mm-hmm. With, 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 with music, with words, it begins with the writer, the lyricist, or the poet. The composer's job is to figure out what that poet was trying to say Mm -hmm. then put harmonies and rhythms up under that Mm -hmm. to enhance that poetry. Mm -hmm. Then as a conductor, my job is to figure out what that poet and that composer were trying to say, then emit that to the choir or the solo artist And then that solo artist job or that choir members job is to figure out what the poet, the composer, and either conductor are trying to convey. Then if those singers get that, it's their job to then take that to the audience who listens to them. And at that point, if the audience gets the message of the singers, of the message of the conductor, of the message of the composer, of the message of the poet, then at that point, we become a universal community, regardless of our ages, regardless of our races, regardless of our gender, regardless of our sexual identity. At that moment, if we all get it, something beautiful happens in that room because that's the end product for music is to move people in a way that they all get this singular message regardless of how they interpret it. Mm -hmm. If I come and sing to you and you just leave saying, okay, there was a concert, it's over. Or, oh, this concert is going to last an hour. Oh, man, we have 20 more minutes. (laughs) We've got 30. That choir, conductor, poet, composer have not done their job. In the end, we ought to leave a concert changed. Yeah, That's when it becomes universal to bring us together as a community. Mm
3: Absolutely. Well, I don't know that I have anything to, <laughs> to add to that. I, I'll probably backpedal by saying this, and that is as a teacher, um, one of the things that uh, I have had to remind myself and have had to learn is that we are working with people, not products. Yeah. And and we are, yes, we are in the educational aspect of things. We are producing uh, people to be better people and better professionals than when they came in, but there's still people all the way throughout this. And so, um, you know, we've all been through those who were over us who did not understand what it meant to be sick or what it meant to be five minutes late because you couldn't find a parking space or what it meant to not have money to pay for your uniform because you had to give money to your very irresponsible parents for, you know, all those kinds of things. just people. We're working with people and people with life situations that may be different from our own. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet at the same time, holding them to a standard that's higher than what they even see themselves capable of, of, of achieving. So it's, it's quite a balance to try to strike. And I think every semester, as we are now currently uh, in exam week, every semester it's a learning experience because I'm like, well, you know, this person's slacking. So what do I need to do to urge them forward? Or this person, you know, needs a challenge. What can I do to put in front of them? You know, so just that.
0: That's great. It's brilliant and it's beautiful. Um, I think it's so, that's so important. That's part of what, the reason I do the work that I do. One of the reasons I wanted to get into nonprofit work is to be able to work with people. That can be a challenge sometimes, So I'm sure you're aware uh but it's very very rewarding and i'm glad that you've been able to 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 glean that um, from your vast career thus far um so we haven't really talked too much about you know you being in alabama like you know obviously we just automatically assume that you're there but that's what this whole podcast is about is um the relationship between the guests and the state of alabama so uh what about alabama how does it inform your work or it or in, in what ways does it inspire you? Uh, well, I'll, I'll
3: kick that off. I, like I said, I grew up in Georgia, mm-hmm. but I've spent most of my, the bulk of my life in Alabama as a, in a as an adult, and well, just period. And every, I've come to learn that every place, is funny, every place is unique in its own, what it has to offer and what, and it's also, every place is pretty much the same. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little bit of both. And finding that sameness that uh, we share not only among the, you, you know, 50 states or so forth, but even around the world, uh, there are just a lot of similarities. I mean, some of the little country, we were in Ireland a couple of years ago and just traveling through some of the, you know, country areas. I'm like, this reminds me of Alabama, you know, or <laughs> this is, there's some similar things. And so, um, uh, so just, just the uniqueness for me, the uniqueness that Alabama has and and what, and I have to be honest, when I was younger, well, when I was, you know, in my teens and, 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 and early 20s, I did not have a whole lot of respect for the state of Alabama. Of mm-hmm. course, we were closer to the darker side of the history of Alabama oh. then. But Alabama has progressed beyond that uh, and has, you know, more, more, you know, has further to go mm-hmm. still. But 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 because of that uh, darker past, I was not very, you know, I wasn't proud to say, yeah, I'm from Alabama. Mm-hmm. And uh, but now I don't even care because uh if someone has a problem with Alabama, they're the ones with the problem, mm-hmm. not me. You know, wow. uh, they. I also say, well, you know, you invited me, you knew where I was from, so <laughs> obviously, you, you know, there, there's, we're not, we're not all bad. <laughs>
2: sure, sure. Yeah, and and traveling, especially you know, East and West Coast, you know, people ask that question often, you know, about oh my gosh, as a Black person in Alabama, you know, how do you do it? And I I explained to them, like William, you know, when I left Alabama to go to the East Coast, I said I would never come back to Alabama. Because, you know, uh, my as I told you earlier, my father founded the NAACP in Chambers County, and uh, we there was a lot of darkness in that crosses were burned in our yard. And I would get phone calls as a kid saying, you know, basically white men cussing out my dad and saying that they were going to kill us. And so I had a number of emotional issues based on that. But what my father taught me was there are good black people and bad black people. There are good white people and they are bad uh, white people, and you know, and with and as far as other races as well, he was really a believer. Called himself a foot soldier of Martin Luther King, and his thing was: you judge people by their character. How they treat you mm-hmm. tells you who they are. You don't blame that on full uh, an entire race. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, the the positives that I can say about being uh, in, uh, an Alabamian is that. The, the dark, the, the, the things that I, the hard things that I learned about racism coming up are also the things that I think I like about Alabama. And that is, you know, where you stand in Alabama. <laughs> now, when I go out on the West Coast and and, and on the East Coast, there will be people who uh, want to say, hey, you know, everything's, I'm liberal, liberal, everything's cool with me. You know, we're all one people, but I'm telling you, there's so many fake people. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I go and have to perform professionally and even lived on the East coast, Oh, you know, I thought that I had come into the promised land, uh, especially when I, 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 you know, went to study on the East coast. And I found everybody was just backbiting. And, you know, one minute they're in your face, acting like your friends. And then on, and then you find out from somebody else, they really don't even like you and they're Mm. competing with you. But I, what I love about, and I tell people all the time, if people don't like you in Alabama, you know (laughs) it. And I would prefer not If you don't like me, then we do not have to communicate. I like that. I prefer that. And then so I know what my lane is. You know what your lane is. And we don't have a problem. But this other thing where you give me the impression we're running in the same lane, but I find out later we're not. I'm bothered with that because I've been brought up that Southern way that you just (laughs) honestly tell people where you stand. And you know, even our community, Black folk will tell you, where you stand with them. And I people, as a matter of fact, when I first went on the East Coast, people would be like, oh, you're so frank. You're just, (laughs) that's all I Mm knew, You know, because black people, they didn't even have to be your mom or your dad. They pull you to the side and say, now baby, Mm -hmm. you do that again. Mm -hmm. You know, and everybody was your mama. You went out somewhere and didn't behave. They would go tell your mama Mm -hmm. or your dad what you were doing. The whole community was watching out for you Mm-hmm. Because we were all one community, mm-hmm. so Alabama has given me uh, that, and and it also gave me Alabama State University, mm-hmm. and the HB, all of the HBCUs that are, we we have so many here in Alabama, yes, we do. And probably
3: the most populated of all. Exactly, of the, yeah. and hey. that's
2: where we learned to sing these spirituals. We will come together for a festival, Miles College, Oakwood. Uh, mm-hmm. uh 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 A- miles college yeah oh, mm-hmm. we, we got together tuskegee. yearly oh. tuskegee to sing spirituals and the sound of all those black voices coming together that again that's where we cut our teeth People ask me, "Well, what's your knowledge of spirituals? Why do you know so much?" Well, one was that my mother, my grandmother, was the devotional leader in our church, and there were always gospelized spirituals or old school spirituals and and Doctor Watts hymns. Mm-hmm. Growing up in Alabama is where I got these roots mm-hmm. to have a love for African American spirituals and how they should be sung in in the in the style. Uh, in the pers- from the perspective of the Fisk Jubilee Singers, mm-hmm. if there are so many African Americans when you go East Coast and West Coast, they don't know the his- history. It's different. I grew up with that <laughs> history, That's and fair. I'm thankful. For being in Alabama to get that history Absolutely. and to own the history of the, the marches in Selma, mm-hmm. the marches in Montgomery. That's my history. And other people don't know anything. My, mm-hmm. my father was a foot soldier for Martin Luther King. Here I am with Rosa Parks. Mm-hmm. You know, Montgomery, you got the museum. All, there's all of this beautiful history. Mm-hmm. That so many of us don't take pride in yes, it. There was been, a strength,
3: a was strength, a strength
2: for, in our people.
3: Yes. Was, yes. And and a unity.
2: Yes.
3: And, you know, it's 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 hard to even it's hard to even convey that uh, in today's language for and get a full understanding. <laughs> just because, uh, again, so much of society has been segmented for. You know, in different reasons, and, and, and even even in the church. I mean, um, they're just they're just so much, just very segmented.
0: Yeah, and I think for whatever reason. I mean, I've only lived in the South, and I'm trying to you know stretch out and visit other places. But it does seem like the South, uh, and Alabama, obviously included in that. Like it just breeds communities. It's just like the way of life, and all those things you said about pe- people taking care of each other, people, you know, getting together, people together, you know, get, you know, uh, it's just the way of life, and it does it creates strong people. So that's a beautiful reflection, and I love having these conversations because I don't think about this until I talk to people like this. So this is <laughs> fantastic. Thank you so much. And just the last thing that I always I ask everybody these last two questions. We've talked about we were reflected about the past and kind of the the, the, the present now, but what is We wanna think forward, what is your hope for the state? And that could be in in, any, it could be the hope for music in Alabama, I think you have the hope for whatever, what is your hope for Alabama? Uh,
3: My hope is that Alabama will never forget its history and uh, and be a good student of its history, Mm -hmm. highlight those things that need to be highlighted Mm -hmm. and grow from the things from which we need to grow. Love
2: it. I, I listen. I I totally agree with that. I my my thought is because at the heart of every human being, we 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 do tend to be prideful and self centered. Mm-hmm. I think every human being has that within himself or herself. So there is never going to be this utopia mm-hmm. of everybody perfectly putting another person before themselves. Mm-hmm. But I think my hope for our state is that we will continue to move forward People say we have the, the racism is just what it's always be been. That's a lie. I grew up here. <laughs> I went to school when the black school I when I was a child, the black school that I went to. I used to wonder why all the books were always ragged and used. Mm-hmm. I did not know until we integrated. We were behind here in Alabama. We integrated in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And when we integrated and I went to these schools that were product were before we integrated all white new books the the the, the walls were clean white okay. there i saw the shift from segregation to integration
1: mm-hmm.
2: alabama has come a long way mm-hmm. i don't want us to become satisfied and i want us to continue to move forward mm-hmm. but one thing i hope will happen at some point in Alabama is that the African-American community, like William said, will go back and look at the strong tradition that we had of families. Mm-hmm. I am seeing many of our families destruct mm-hmm. because in some ways integration did us harm mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. that we we no longer saw ourselves as these villages that were taking care of those that Mm -hmm. where, where, where if the father wasn't there, the whole community, we're we're helping to raise these Black men. Mm -hmm. I think we've got a lot of young Black men who are angry because they don't see a community of Black men that are showing them how to be Black men, so they're murdering, and they're killing, and it's out of anger. Mm -hmm. It's out of neglect. Mm -hmm. And we've got our Black sisters who are, are, we've got our eyes looking after money, looking at, Mm -hmm. we're building our communities based on what we see on tv which is not real and so we're 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 not the black family has social media and social (laughs) media and so we're not saying that these children of ours are valuable enough for us to sacrifice what we want to make our children whole Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so the the community wherein we've always had we, we used to have more Homes that were full of fathers and mothers. But even of those where it was just these strong black women and and grandparents raising these kids, we're trying to blame this on the kids. And what's missing is the community. And I'm going to include the church because the church used to be the center of our communities and pastors Mm -hmm. used to be the strength of those communities. And now the church is just kind of closing in on itself, trying to protect itself from the community instead of stepping out Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and saying, we will lead you. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the parents there, come to us Mm -hmm. and we will lead you and guide you such that we can have strong black communities where the black young men and, and girls and boys have hope outside of their community. That's what I wish, not only for Alabama, this is about Alabama, (laughs) but we definitely need this happening more and more in order to to save the next generation of young blacks and I I think even whites in our community. Such that the, 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 we we stop turning on each other mm-hmm. and saying all I want is what I can get from you, and so that means I can kill you, I can stab you, I can shoot you, because I don't even value life because nobody's valued me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like. I mean, the, the at the heart of this whole conversation it seems like it's been community, and that's been something that I've been, you know, even as I've moved away, it's been. You know i need to find a doctor and i need to find a dentist but i also need to find community you know it's been you know and i think that's something that uh we need to tap into more is basically what you guys are saying it's what keeps us together it's how we survive i mean it's even like a biological thing or uh, evolutionary thing like you know people who didn't have a community back in the day they were getting eaten by dinosaurs well i mean i don't like you know like they looked out for each other and um, mm-hmm. we're definitely in a position position now this day and age where we need it more than ever so Uh, Thank you both for this reflection. Oh my goodness. I'm gonna go and just be like, mellowed out here in a second. (laughs) Just (laughs) thinking about this conversation. Um, I I can't thank you enough for taking the time to to talk with me about this, uh, about this, about things. Um, Is there anything else you want to share before we, we, we just split up?
3: I just can't tell you how much uh, we have enjoyed this conversation, mm-hmm. Gerald. I mean, it has been so enriching mm-hmm. uh, for us and uh, have been looking forward to to speaking with you uh, in this podcast for, for quite a while. And so thank you for bringing this to bringing this to fruition.
2: Thank yes. You. And and you know of, we're, of course, we're so proud of you yes. in, in what you're doing uh, to bring these voices, you know, and to share with the wider uh, community and so hey we're we're just grateful that you invited us to uh share these moments with you with you and your audience so hey and again we're just so proud of you yes
3: uh, we are
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like i'm talking to a wild daddy
2: y'all okay. <laughs> yes, yes yes in music,
1: yes, in music. Yes. yes beautiful
0: beautiful thank you so much And that's a wrap on my incredible conversation with the Auburn University super couple, Dr. William Powell, the Charles W. Barclay Endowed Professor of Music and Director of Choral Activities, and Dr. Rosephanie Powell, Professor of Voice and internationally acclaimed composer. I'd like to thank them both for sharing their time and their minds with me. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to reconnect and learn from them, just as I did as a student at Auburn more than 10 years ago. Oof, baby boy's getting old. (laughs) This episode featured the song, I Want To Be Free, an original composition and performance by another one of the Powell students, Birmingham singer and lifestyle influencer, Shanice Nicole. I'd like to once again thank the Alabama Humanities Alliance for their support of this season of the Higher Ground Society podcast. Be sure to check out the great work that they're doing across the state at alabamahumanities.org. Finally, I'd like to thank you, listener, for joining in with us on the conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to be notified for future episodes of the show. We're counting down to the last episodes of this season with some truly inspiring guests. So don't miss out. Plug in. Until next time, be easy.